father's lightsaber. What? Lightsabers, precious? Welcome to What's Lightsaber's Precious? I didn't see you come in there. This is Lord of the Rings and Star Wars Encyclopodcast, where we waste time in fictional wikis. I'm Ryan. Please have a seat. I'm Joanna. What are you, Chris Hansen? <laughs> yes, I'm Chris Hansen. <laughs> You're all on Dateline right now. <laughs> Don't eat those cookies. How's it going, Joanna? It's going okay. How's it going with you, Ryan? Not bad. We saw Solo, Star Wars Han Solo story last night. I went in with, like, no expectations because there had been all those stories about how, like, the production has been very troubled. Yeah. They had to do ray shoots. They fired the directors. And I was actually, like, pretty surprised by how solid of a movie it was. Yeah. It was, like, a really fun, solid little heist movie. It was fun. Yeah, I mean, I think Ron Howard brought some some different energy to it than Lord and Miller would have. The first half hour of the movie is basically everything you see in the trailers, like it's all all the heist and the adventure and everything, and he's chewy. And, and then the last like hour and a half or so is just Han gets up on stage at the cantina with like this this Star Wars saxophone, and he just plays just by himself. On and the he stage. wails on that thing. He wails. He just wails. I mean, I don't know if you can say that a saxophone shreds, like but like, you can definitely say that it slaps. I mean, it's not a saxophone. It's like a Star Wars saxophone. It's probably like a saxophone or something like that, right? Yeah, but I mean, he's good. It's, just, it's not what I was expecting from the movie, but he's I mean, really good at saxophone. It's an amazing solo. So that's why they called it solo. Yeah. So as soon as he gets off stage, Thurm Scissor Punch is there, and he's like, he's actually a very very major character in the movie. I don't know if they, they don't really build him up in the trailer, but Thurm Scissor Punch is like major. He's like pivotal in Han Solo. I would say he actually gets more screen time than Lando, to be honest, and probably more character development. He gets, yeah. So he gets off stage, and Thurm's like, hey, buddy, that was amazing out there. What an amazing solo you just did. That the the high notes were so high, and the low notes were so low, and we just done a band, you and I. And Han's like, hmm. I like the sound of that. It's like, what, the band idea? No. Solo. Yeah. That's where his last name came from. We huh? didn't even know it. He thought it was because it was going to, it was a big twist. He thought it was going to be because he played a saxophone solo for like an hour. But actually it's because Thurm Scissor Punch said his notes were so low. And so he walks off stage and he's like, hey, what about the Wookiee? And he's like, it's okay. He's my dog. And they get back in the Winnie Falcon and they fly away. And that's <laughs> the end of the movie. I mean, you said you weren't going to spoil it, but you sorry, guys. spoil yeah. like 50% of the movie. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Can I tell you like a real thing, though, that I read? What's because that? it relates to something we talked about last week. Last week, we were talking about Lando Calrissian being pansexual. And I read this interview with Donald Glover. Apparently, it came out like five days ago. But basically, what he said was like, how can you not be pansexual in space? There's so many things to have sex with. <laughs> I mean, it's true. He's not wrong. While Han was playing his big saxophone solo, there was a huge makeout scene between Lando and and Dice Ibigon, I was so happy. They brought a Florin Lamprey into the mix. I also like how um, Dice Ibigon's werewolf mask boyfriend was just kind of like in the corner watching. Oh, he L- was little he, kinky, little freaky, he was but... Being, he was being cuckolded a little bit. I think he liked I it. I think though. he liked it. He yeah. likes being a cuck. Like he likes being a globalist cuck. <laughs> okay, Daleks Jones. <laughs> Daleks? She's Dalek. just coming Daleks Jones. <laughs> Exterminate! <laughs> globalist cucks! <laughs> Daleks Jones! That's a little, like, sci-fi humor for you guys. Yeah, you know, only only true nerds are going to understand that one. So That's this a is, deep cut. Yeah, this is our right-wing politics Doctor Who show, <laughs> Daleks Jones. Surprise! <laughs> 
<laughs> didn't see that one coming. Yeah. But that was um. So that's my. I don't know. I just really yeah, I liked, liked it too. That. It was good because. I mean, I'm not even really, really into that stuff, but there's a certain novelty. Like, oh, I can have sex with that? Yeah. I can have sex with that? And I will. Well, why wouldn't you? You only live once. And no, no spoilers, but for, I mean, obviously our synopsis was 100% what actually happens in the movie. But there is a part where they imply Lando has some non-human relations, which I thought was pretty fun. Uh-huh. So they actually did put their money where their mouth was a little bit. To a certain extent. To a certain extent. Yeah. But we can we can talk more about it in a couple weeks when people have had a chance yeah, to see the movie. We don't want to have no spoilers. Yeah. Uh, I think it's kind of like kind of an imperfect movie. It's very fun. A bit like rough around the edges, but I kind of like it that way. I like the characters, too. Yeah. Like, for me, if the characters are enjoyable and interesting, mm-hmm. then I am I can ignore a lot of other stuff. Yeah. Yes. So, check it out. Do you have any Lord of the Rings news? I actually do. My friend Teresa informed me that ISIS has used footage from Lord of the Rings in their latest recruitment video. Oh, you can join the fellowship of ISIS. Yeah. It was from Return of the King. It's the Charge of the Rohirrim. They put oh, it in the recruitment video. Yeah. It's supposed to be like, you know, God's army charging against... I don't know, evildoer, non-believers. Well, that's and us. That's us. That is us. And apparently, the Charge of the Rohirrim was also used by, I think, like, a Turkish extremist group earlier. So, like, yeah. for some reason, Islamic extremist groups love the Charge of the Rohirrim. That's I cool. hate our freedom! <laughs> Are we still doing the Dalek Alex thing? Jones here! I hate our freedom! Turn the freaking frogs gay! <laughs> Anyway, that's all the news I have, is that ISIS is, like, very, very incompetent. I mean, we are not only the great Satan, we are now the great Sauron, so that's pretty cool. I feel like it's a step up, to be honest. So what are we uh, talking about today? Oh my god, well today, we are doing something a little bit unusual. Here we are. We are talking not about a... Encyclopedia of Arda article about Lord of the Rings, nor are we talking about a Wikipedia article about Star Wars. We're not. We are talking about two very special adaptations of the same. Yeah, we were wa- we watched some some movies this time, a miniseries and a movie. About a week and a half ago, I was alerted to the fact that there is a 1993 Finnish miniseries that adapts Lord of the Rings that is ultra low budget. And this was news to me. I knew about the Russian version of The Hobbit. Mm-hmm. I knew about the various animated versions of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. Yes. But I was completely unaware of this Finnish take on yeah. the tale. And so uh, we decided to watch it. It is freely available on YouTube. It's called Hobbitit. Yeah. Which is Finnish for The Hobbits. And yes, it has the word tit in it. Get over it. All right. Very funny. I bet you laugh when you see a, a, a brown tit outside on your branches because you're like, haha, it's a bird, but also like a, a sex word. So. If we can all just grow up and stop thinking about boobs for once in our lives, maybe you'll be able to enjoy this podcast. Yeah. Okay. Just putting that out there. Okay. 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 Hobbitit. Hobbitit. So yeah, Hobbitit. Ryan, watch it with me. Ryan, what did you think of Hobbitit? It was fun. It was fun. Um, we're talking about the first five episodes today. It's a nine-part series. You know, low budget, like Joanna said, but charming. I, I had a kind of a different spin on things. And also there are some things I feel like they maybe took some inspiration from in the Peter Jackson adaptations. It is possible. We do know that Peter Jackson was heavily inspired by the Ralph Bakshi animated version of Lord of the Rings. Now, no matter like how much fun it is to dunk on the Bakshi version of Lord of the Rings, the fact remains that Peter Jackson did take even certain shots like directly mm-hmm. from it. Now, this 
finished version never got brought up in like any interviews with Peter Jackson or the cast or anyone ever. So had they seen it, I don't know, it could be a coincidence. But there are certain striking similarities in some part. One thing I want to point out at the top here is that the atmosphere of this adaptation is really distinctive. It's like very heavy, very morose. Yeah. It looks like the Shire as in contrast to Peter Jackson's depiction of it, like just these pretty green rolling hills and and crop fields and like charming pastoral landscape. It basically looks like they're living in the Middle Ages, farming mud for their feudal lords. No hobbit holes, a bunch of houses and like this dusty brown field. Like that's what I wrote down. My first note I made is that it's so much dim brownness and there's, like, no artificial lights in Hobbiton. It is really, really dark. And I think part of that might be that they just didn't have enough lighting to go around. Although there are some parts that are, like, ludicrously brightly lit. Yeah. We'll, so, we'll talk about those. But, like, yeah. man, it was it was interesting to see different takes on it. It's, like, misty and felt like, like apocalyptic almost. Almost. <laughs> like, this was nuclear winter following yeah. the detonation of a warhead. Yeah, that's what it felt like to me. But everybody seemed just so used to it. And, like, resigned to their fate. Yeah. And um, no more so than Old Sam in this first episode, because he seems really down in the dumps. Well, Old Sam is our series narrator. He's the one telling the entire story of the Hobbitits. He is. And, as will become a pattern for a Hobbitit, his hair is insane. It's like a lion's mane. It's like that Amazon commercial with the baby and the dog. Yeah, where the dog has the little lion's mane, like, wringing its face. Imagine that, but gray and Imagine that. And on a man who just looks like he has given up. Yeah. Like, he looks so down. And he is telling the story... Of his adventures in the War of the Ring to a bunch of Hobbit children who vary between looking vaguely interested to bored to like outright angry that they are having to experience this. Yeah. So most of this first episode is, how can I say, less than dynamic because it's just old Sam talking. Well, it cut to some scenes. He's telling the story of Bilbo. Basically recapping The Hobbit, getting you caught up on why The Ring's important and all that. They do give us a scene that is not super dissimilar from the scene in Return of the King. Oh, I thought it was just like it. Where Smeagol finds The Ring. Oh, it's so close. Smeagol and Deagle on the boat and like even have the the same shot of the dirty hands, you know, wiping the mud off the ring That's true. It was like a very similar shot. And they have it where as he's transitioning into Gollum, keeps cutting back to him and he's getting more and more haggard and everything and... You know, he's losing his hair and his eyes are getting more sunken and all that. And it has to be said, though, that it comes across slightly unintentionally comic because the guy playing Gollum, instead of it being like this very, very gaunt, bent, creepy um, little thing that looks like it's been alive for hundreds of years and in and out of rehabilitation for heroin, like it's just this kind of doughy middle-aged man (laughs) yes big doughy doughy guy with a diaper on uh it's kind of funny it's interesting like his face is very round he does not look particularly ill-fed and he's just kind of like running like huffing and puffing as he gradually turns into Gollum. and the other thing is he is wearing a thong throughout the duration of this miniseries you get a lot of man ass full-on man ass Quite frequently. Yeah. It's only for the ladies out there. You know, they gotta give a little bit. Because otherwise there's not much fan service in this. Unless you were really into Aragorn's, like, weird, middle-aged, like, Asian woman wig that he wears. Who, we should mention, is played by the same actor as Gollum. (laughs) Yes, yes, that's true. 
We didn't even realize that till halfway through. Aragorn and Gollum are played by the same guy. Because if you think about it, they're never in the same scene together. So who's to say? Who's to say that Aragorn and Gollum aren't actually the same person? Same guy. Just just putting that out there. Anyway, let's talk a little bit about Riddles in the Dark, as depicted in Hobbitit. Your notes about it made me extremely happy, particularly... I only have one note, and it says... One phrase you used. uh, Riddles in the Dark always whips ass. Because it does, and this one is really good. Like, I feel like there's no way to mess up Riddles in the Dark. Um, I mean, the difference here, Bilbo has like is like this kind of like guy talk talks like this. He's got no, a mustache. He sounds like he's doing a fake idiot voice. Yeah, basically. like he sounds like he's trying to be like do 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 do. It sounds like he is mocking someone, like repeating something that someone said in a fake stupid voice. Except he's not repeating anything. He's just talking. He's talking to Gollum. Do 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 do. Yeah. He's also constantly making a face like somebody just farted straight up his nose. Yeah, he looks really perturbed looks all the time. really grossed out, which, in fairness, like, chubby man-ass Gollum... Not the best thing to be around. ...is a little bit unappetizing. Yeah. Um, he is also... I don't know if he's on speed or what, but his performance is, like, dialed up to 11. Gollum? Gollum. Yeah, I mean, I don't speak Finnish again, but he talks exactly like Andy Serkis does as Gollum, I feel like. We see that, and then Sam wraps it up, and he tells the kids, you know, stay tuned for more, and they look thoroughly unexcited, and then we're on to episode two. Yeah. Episode two is probably the darkest. Well, and by that, I don't mean it's scary. I mean, like, there is no light. It is very yeah. hard to tell what's going on. And this is where it becomes obvious that the hobbits are not actually small. They always refer to them as little people and, like, oh, little folk. But they're exact same height as other people. They're literally the same size as Gandalf. I mean, they try to do a little bit of forced perspective things. Like, they have the similar shot where Gandalf is, like, standing over Bilbo and, like, freaking him out with magic. And they have the camera pointed up at Gandalf's face, making, like, a little bit taller. And Bilbo's, like, super hunched, right, too. Right, right. Try- but, like, they're real spotty with that forced perspective. I think they try it, like, maybe three times over the course of nine episodes. Yeah. And they never quite carry it off. Gandalf, it must be said, looks like a mischievous Spanish conquistador. Oh, he's so good. I love Finnish Gandalf. He's so intense. Spanish Gandalf is actually really awesome. Like, legitimately. I'm yeah. not joking around. Like, he is legitimately awesome. I think he, his acting and his take on Gandalf are really good. Mm-hmm. I legitimately like him. But he does kind of have that, that Cortez kind of facial hair, right? Or like Don Quixote facial hair. He looks like you killed his father and you should prepare to right. die. He's got this long gray hair. He looks super cool. He's got swept over to the side. He's very intense stares. Like, he's really good. I think I thought Finnish Gandalf was great. He was awesome. There are a few notable instances of quite good acting yeah. in this. And my understanding is that a lot of people who saw this as kids in Finland remember it really fondly because basically all the actors in it are, like, beloved in Finland. Mm-hmm. So there's this great amount of nostalgia and affection for this adaptation in Finland. Episode 2 covers Bilbo doing his farewell speech at his... 111th birthday party, Bilbo leaving. It covers Frodo being told by Gandalf that he has to go destroy the ring, and also Sam getting caught eavesdropping. By the way, Sam is eavesdropping ostensibly from the garden, which he is tending, Mm. except there's nothing growing. It's just mud. Again, this is the apocalyptic wasteland they live (laughs) in. So Sam is just like a mud gardener. He's harvesting the radioactive dirt. (laughs) So he gets dragged in. He has a mullet, by the way. Oh yeah, the wigs are great in this movie, for the hobbits especially. Like, the the rest of the cast has wigs, but, like, the Hobbit's wigs are great. They are great. So, like, yeah, Sam is, like, an 80s mullet. Frodo, I couldn't really place him. He kind of reminded me of, like, Sting in Dune. It's just, yeah, it's just generally kind of like, really disheveled kind of, like, and kind of... Fade Routha crossed with, like, Spike Spiegel or something like that. Okay, like, that's a good, yeah. Maybe. And weebs know who Spike Spiegel is. Yeah, Mary has, like, this classic curly sort of, like... 
Jonah Hill kind of afro thing going on, right? Uh, I thought I put that Mary had Shirley Temple hair. That's it, yes. And Pippin looked like he just got electrocuted. Pippin actually has a ponytail. He does. I didn't so realize that until halfway through. I wrote either redheaded Mozart or Yahoo Sirius. <laughs> Again, I don't know if anybody's going to know who Yahoo Sirius is. Watch Young is. Einstein. I don't know Please what I'm talking about. Don't watch Young <laughs> Einstein. We drop so many crappy references I, on this show. Or the best. Um, so yeah, the wigs are all insane. One thing I want to point out before we move on to episode three is that when Gandalf tells Sam that he has to go with Frodo and Sam realizes that he might get to see some elves, Sam goes, damn. Damn. Which is the best. I mean, I, that's that's so sad. I mean, Sam says damn like four or five times throughout this miniseries, but that's definitely the funniest one because he smiles and he looks at Frodo and he's just like, Damn. Damn wise game, G. It's the best. It's the absolute best. And that's episode two. But episode two, I have to say, ends with the first of many, many really puzzling musical choices. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of weird music in this series. It, it ranges from really quite good to just absolutely incomprehensible. There's this recurring use of, like, a sexy saxophone <laughs> when they're on the road. And first, first shown in episode two when all four hobbits are leaving Hobbiton. Yeah, I don't know if it's intentionally sexy. What it really sounds like is kind of like you're drinking alone in a nightclub during the depression or something. Like, yeah. like it's like it sounds like I the mean, sad saxophone music in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It sounds exactly basically. like the last hour of Solo, Han Solo story. Yes, it is basically Han Solo's hauntingly melancholy yeah. saxophone solo. But it does come across as weirdly sexy. So Gandalf's like, okay, bye, hobbits. And they're walking through the forest and you're like, yeah, we're going to keep mentioning the music throughout the thing because it gets wild. I mean, we're going to put that in there, right? talk about episode three okay here's where i have to give mad props to hobbitit this is the only adaptation of lord of the rings i've ever seen that has old man willow in the chronological place he's supposed to be yeah. tom bombadil and the barrel whites ba, 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 ba. it was very very exciting yeah tom bombadil he didn't sing at all he didn't sing but he does have a haunting jaunty marimba theme yeah <laughs> they sort of show him like walking through the forest it's like boop 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 also, when Old Man Willow snatches the hobbits, the effect on that is really good. It's kind of insane. It's really insane. It, it I just don't grab have... him. They get, they get sucked into the tree. So a door in the tree opens, and this giant superimposed semi-transparent picture of some tangled roots stretches out. Yeah. Overlaps the hobbits. And then stretches back in and the hobbits disappear to make it clear that they have been sucked into the tree. Into the tree. But it looks absolutely insane. It's a pretty crazy effect. Tom Bombadil shows up and saves them from Old Man Willow, of course. But this is where things start to get really trippy. I feel like the peculiar atmosphere of this adaptation is probably most evident in episode three because they get weird with it. Mm-hmm. it it's almost like David Lynchian at one point. It's like weird. It's like Weird. Like, one of those David Lynch movies that just, like, doesn't make any sense. And That's just weird, weird, you know? Like this but, Ryan, can you back me up on this? Oh, it is pretty weird, yeah. There's, like, a first-person point of view of them walking down a forest trail, and then that saxophone music comes in, and I swear to God it is Twin Peaks. Well, it sounds like Twin Peaks because then it starts having this kind of low, rumbly overtone when the Nazgul shows up. Mm-hmm. 
very creepy. And the Nazgul, by the way, similar to the roots that came out of Old Man Willow, is this semi-transparent guy on a horse that's sort of superimposed over the scenery. Yes. And it's, no mistake about it, extremely cheap, but, like, kind of effective. Yeah. In a way, because it does seem really otherworldly if you can ignore, like, all the artifacts that are sort of ringed around it. Yeah. Speaking of creepy, the Barrel Whites thing, it's almost impossible to make heads or tails of what's going on, and that somehow makes it even creepier. There's, I think the Barrel Whites somehow cause the Hobbits to, like, hallucinate and fall into a trance. They kind of cross it with Mirkwood from The Hobbit because there is a part where Mary comes across his tobacco pouch and then they realize that they've been going in circles. Yeah. Uh, which is from Mirkwood Forest in The Hobbit. But then at some point, all of a sudden, things get kind of weird and disjointed and suddenly we see The Hobbits lying on the ground with these wide open, white-eyed stares, just staring at nothing, like in a trance. Yeah. And this weird disembodied hand creeps out with a knife to like stab Frodo. It's very hard to tell what's going on, but that somehow makes it even creepier. Yeah, it was pretty unsettling. That was basically the barrel lights. Tom Bombadil saves them again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Tommy. And they are on their way to Bree. Which, it must be said, is a Wild West town. Seriously, like, like how you'd imagine in a Western, you got the two sides of the street, you got, like, dusty plains and wind blowing through it. And, and the Prancing Pony is literally an Old West saloon. Yeah, it's crazy. For some reason, there are, like, extremely intense heavy metal riffs when they get to Bree, yeah. which doesn't mesh with, like, the Old West scenery at all. And also, it doesn't mesh with any of the other music, because heavy metal guitar riffs never happen again. No, that's the only time you hear them. One more thing we have to talk about before we leave episode three is Gandalf's visit to see Saruman. Like, Orthanc is this weird black mirror dimension, and there's like these barking dogs all the time. <laughs> just barking in the background, and I'm not sure if that was intentional to be atmospheric, or if they were just dogs barking outside of the studio where they're making the movie, and somebody's just like, oh, I'll leave them in. I mean, it's real echoey. It's kind of these creepy barking dogs. <laughs> the other weird part. And this is never explained. I kept waiting for them to go back and explain why this was, but they never do. There's, like, some random guy there. Besides Saruman. Besides Saruman. He looks like your mom's loser boyfriend who used to be in a band and just got out of rehab. Yeah, he's just this guy. He doesn't have any lines. He's just this guy that close up on his face exactly once, and he's just there. He's just this guy. He's, I'm not sure if he's a wizard. Like, we know that Soromon's a wizard. He has an excellent mustache, much yes. like Gandalf does. But the extra guy. What's weird is, like, Gandalf and Saruman had their conversation. The guy is standing next to them. Neither of them ever acknowledge his presence or speak to him. He's just there. He's an extra guy. Like, who is he supposed to be? I don't know. Is he supposed to be Grima Wormtongue? Is he, like, a props guy who just got caught in the shot? And like, okay, we can't... We have to leave it in there now. Only one take, we can do this. We only have so much finished film left. I We never know. Yeah. They're not going to tell you. And that is the only time Saruman shows up, too. So that scene... Okay, this is emblematic of, of one of the issues with this miniseries. If you haven't read the books... Oh, it's incomprehensible. You, it is totally incomprehensible. I've read the books, and you can hear even Ryan and I have difficulty making sense of this episode. Yeah. It should be stated, though, that the series follows just the Hobbits... 
Well, that's why it's called Hobbit, Hobbit. and yeah. not Lord of the Rings. Right. So they, they cut out a lot of the story by just focusing on the um, Hobbits. I guess the original play, because this was a play oh, okay. in Finland, a wildly popular, many multi-hour play actually did include the whole story. Oh, wow, okay. But then in adapting it, they realized, well, I mean, our budget is a shoestring already. Yeah. There's just no conceivable way that we can show everything. Right. And so a lot of it is just old Sam kind of being like, oh, by the way, while Frodo and I were doing this... This other thing This happened. other thing happened. But we'll get to that later. First, we have to talk about episode four, which is Brie. Brie. We open up on Brie again. And instead of heavy metal guitar riffs, what we have is Arabian snake dance music. Yeah, they really can't decide the theme for Brie. Not is this, at all. Is this a Wild West town? Is this like a biker town? Is, is this, this Agrabah? Is this Agrabah? <laughs> what is going on? But they go to the Prancing Pony, which again, I need to emphasize, is a Wild West saloon. It is literally a Wild West saloon, yeah. The hobbits come in. They're being served by Butterbur, whose wig is atrocious. We get like some cute scenes of, of Pippin oversharing, you know, the goings on in the Shire. And there's this guy sitting in the corner with a really terrible, like I said, sort of middle-aged Asian woman wig on, rocking very menacingly in a rocking chair. Chewing a lot of gum. Chewing a lot of gum. <laughs> For some reason, Aragorn is chewing gum nonstop. There's no scene in this movie where Aragorn's not chewing on something, it seems like. That's why they call him Strider. He chews stride gum all the time. <laughs> you thought it was because he walks a lot. Oh, no. 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 Stride <laughs> gum. Stride's his favorite. Those little tiny pieces of gum. So... So, you know, Aragorn calls Frodo over. He's like, hey, you better shut your friend Pippin up because he's going to spill the beans about your quest, even though Pippin's basically just talking about how the town hole caved in. Yeah. But, you know. Anyway, so Frodo's like, just like in the book, and unlike in the Peter Jackson movies, Frodo's like, all right, so literally the only way I can think of to distract everybody in this bar is to stand on a table and do a little dance. Right. And sing a song. And his song in this adaptation slaps. Oh, it's really good. Oh my god. Like the lyric, it is a banger. Lyrically, it's just kind of like, hey, diddle, diddle, cat in the fiddle type song. I mean, it's exactly what it was in the book, right? right. But it is so good. Here, we'll play a little bit here. You're going to want to listen to the whole thing. I mean, we'll play the rest of it later, but man. Yeah. The song slaps. Sen isänän kissa juoppo on viisikielistä viulua soittaa. Sen isänän kissa juoppo on viisikielistä viulua soittaa. Ylös alas kun sävelet vaihtelee, välin hyrisee, välin vinkaisee, välin välillä vain olla koittaa. Ja isänän koira pielise, hyvin vitsejä ymmärtää. Man, Joanna, that was a heat rock. It was awesome. God, even just listening to it again, like, I'm getting excited. Yeah, I wanna, I wanna, I'm distracted from my idiot friends. <laughs> So Frodo does all that, and as you know, if you've read the book, at one point the ring slips onto his finger. And he poofs away. And he poofs away, and everybody is very alarmed. All the extremely weird patrons of the Prancing Pony, you wrote down some of them. Yeah, there was this this very high-looking woman, this creepy (laughs) bar assistant. He's kind of got to give massages to people who don't want them. Um, Real weirdos. Real weirdos. We should also mention, too, when he puts on the ring every time, there's like this very obvious puff of smoke. (laughs) (laughs) Right, (laughs) not very much of a stealth weapon in this. 
It's like a ninja smoke bomb every time he puts on the ring. Yes. So. so if you're trying to hide from something, that's not the best route yeah. to take because they're definitely going to hear the pfft. First Strider tells him off and he says, that was even worse than your friend, you know? Yeah. Like oversharing. Now the ring rays are going to show up and they do. They do. And they have this power where they like belch white fog out of their faces. Belches fog in, in Mary's face and he falls asleep immediately, like outside the, the Prancing Pony. But they don't do anything to him. Like they just let him sleep, I guess, because a few minutes later he walks back into the Prancing Pony looking slightly alarmed. He's just like, whoa. Yeah, yeah. What was that about? <laughs> because the ring wraiths have arrived, it is clear that Strider and the Hobbits need to make a quick getaway. We gotta go. We gotta go. We gotta get out of here. So they go out into the wild. And this is a very fun sort of scene. We get stock footage of migrating reindeer at a much lower frame rate than yeah. the main footage. In the background, they're clearly green screened in here. Walking along, single file, left to right on the screen. Right? Just, yeah. just to remind you that this is Finland, apparently. Yeah, it's Finnish, Finnish Lord of the Rings. Right. So, and that's where we, we sort of leave it at episode four. Yeah. So episode five... They get to Weathertop. Right. And Weathertop, as far as I can tell, is just like a smallish pile of rocks. Yeah. Like it's not even big enough for Aragorn and the Hobbits to hide behind. When the Ringwraiths show up to attack them, Aragorn's just kind of like, oh, get down! And they're just like slightly hunched behind these rocks, <laughs> but like clearly visible, especially since their wigs are enormous. Yeah. While they are on Weathertop waiting for the Ringwraiths to approach, which takes forever for some reason. It's a long wait. There is this heavy pounding, like ever so slightly Soviet-sounding dirge playing. And yeah. it is a very intense song. Yeah, I can get that one in here, too. Let's just hear a sample. Yeah. Atmospheric, right? Yeah, definitely. like the build up to the fight is actually kind of good. Yeah, I think it so. takes probably objectively too long to get there. Yeah, but then once the fight scene starts, you realize why they spent so much time on the build up because the fight scene is a mess. It's nothing, man. <laughs> like the hobbits kind of flail around, and we get like random disjointed shots of see through ring rays. Yeah, they're fading in and out. Like they're they're not, they're fighting nothing because they're just like superimposed over the shot. And I guess Frodo gets stabbed. Like every time Frodo gets injured in this series, you don't actually see him gets injured it's just a close-up of his face and he kind of faints and goes like Ugh. yeah that's it but we didn't see any, like a sword go in or anything no he just sort, sort of faints and then all of a sudden phew, quick jump cut to rivendell yeah it was kind of an interesting transition there yep suddenly frodo is just lying on top of like a stone sarcophagus in rivendell yeah rivendell's kind of like how you'd imagine mount olympus or something as i was like greek columns and clouds and stuff it's all white i mean it's the only artificial light we've gotten in this whole series so far like and it is i mean they go for broke like that's probably why they couldn't afford to light any of the other scenes because they just put like all the lighting on rivendell it all is the lights. so bright yeah and you get a really good shot of, of aragorn here and I wrote down that he kind of looks like Christopher Lambert in a wig. So Christopher Lambert. Christopher Lambert always. Christopher <laughs> Lambert is never not wearing a wig. Oh, you can imagine Christopher Lambert as Aragorn. That would be my dream casting. That'd be good. To be yeah. honest. If they hadn't gotten Viggo Mortensen, yeah. it should have been Lambert. Oh, Lambert. Wouldn't it be wouldn't Aragorn be so much better if he had like this really unplaceable accent and the strangest delivery ever? Yeah. I'd love it. If you guys aren't Lambert fans. Go watch Highlander. Go watch Highlander. Get back to us. Then we get the Council of Elrond, and this is where we meet the rest of the Fellowship, who, it must be said, are, like, not important at all in this story. They barely figure into it. I don't think Legolas has a single line in this thing. No, he does. 
but that comes later, yeah. and he mumbles it so that you can't even hear it. So. Also, no pointy ears on these guys. No pointy ears. No pointy ears. Um, Legolas has sort of voluminous, blonde, wavy hair, I guess. And then Gimli is just, like, this regular-sized bald man. <laughs> he looks like a construction worker who got invited on this quest. He also looks like he has severe conjunctivitis. His eyes are super, super watery. Yeah. And he keeps kind of, like, itching at him. I don't know. Every time I see him, I'm like, he's got pink eye. Yeah, that poor guy. Dude's got pink eye. But we need to talk about Boromir. Oh, Boromir's insane in this movie. Oh, my God. I don't know who made the the costuming choice for Boromir, but I want to shake their hand because they literally could not have gone more insane with it. So tell us about it. Okay. Let me try and like set the scene here. So Boromir, he's wearing a scale mail shirt with nothing under it. Very cool. Sort of cloak on over that. Half of his hair is pulled back with chopsticks. And he has like an undercut. And he has an undercut. So like the underside of his hair is shaved. And then on the side of his head, on one of the shaved parts, is a tattoo of a snake. Yeah. So he looks like this cyber goth ninja. Yeah, he's like a samurai crossed with, like, the crow or something. It is absolutely insane. They have no issue with telegraphing the fact that he is going to turn evil. He doesn't smile once in this He doesn't smile once. He glares constantly. They keep closing up on his face, glaring, and, like, this... Evil discordant sting will always play. Like he looks evil. He looks well evil. He also has like a shield made of blades or something. Like, I oh, honestly like, thought a fan made it of blades. was. I thought it was a coolie hat. It looks like a coolie hat, it's basically but like, like it a, is a his shield, shield made of blades. Yes, it looks absolutely. And he literally insane. has a katana, which we'll talk about later. But. Yeah, he does literally have a katana. Yes, Council of Elrond chooses the nine members of the Fellowship. Um, only about like five of whom actually matter. I thought it was kind of interesting because like the. Hobbit sneaking into the Fellowship meeting? Yeah. That was, like, exactly like it was in uh, Peter Jackson's version. Well, I mean, it's like it is in the book. But, like, the same, they had the same shots and everything. And they, yeah, that's true. It I was felt, very, very similar. Very similar. Very similar. I wasn't even... I was mainly just, like, looking at Gimli's eyes at that point. I, I cannot take my eyes off They looked either. so goopy. Yeah, they were real goopy. <laughs> they leave Rivendell, and Aragorn is suddenly wearing a bandana over his mouth like a bandit for exactly one shot. You never see it again. And that is where they cut it. Yeah, they cut off to a very kind of dramatic song as they walk down the path. Yes. And that is where we're going to cut it because we have to switch over to talking about our Star Wars adaptation. Not so much an adaptation as a spin-off. A continuation of an ongoing story. We watched Ewoks, The Caravan of Courage, or The Ewok Adventure, as it's also known. Now, I had seen this movie once in like seventh grade. Yeah. And I didn't really remember it that well. I do remember when I was in seventh grade being like, this is too kiddie for me. Yeah. This is for children. And it is. It is for children. It's for children, turns out. Definitely. But it's so cute. It's kind of a charming little movie, Like, right? it's goofy, and the main kid actor is always either, like, murmuring or yelling. He has no in-between. He's a very moody young man. Yeah, so can you kind of tell us the plot of the Ewok adventure, like, in a nutshell? Sure. These two kids... And their parents crash their ship on the forest moon of Endor. The kids wander off for some unspecified reason. The parents can't find them. Then the parents are captured by a minotaur. A a Gorax, Joanna. I refer to it as a minotaur in my notes, and I'm going to keep referring to it as a minotaur because it's basically a minotaur. The Gorax, super fans, the Gorax. And the kids are left all alone for um, Wicket young Ewok Wicket and his family to find and care for. Mm-hmm. And then Wicket and his family help the kids rescue their parents from the Minotaur. It's a pretty simple story. 
with lots of crazy things that go on in it. I would have to say, Ryan, how many times have you seen this one? Ewok Adventure? Yes. Oh, a bunch. I watched it when I was a kid. We had a VHS tape of it. I bought the DVD when I was in high school. It came out finally in like 2004. And it's a, it's a dual layer disc. It's a very bare bones. Very bare bones DVD. But, you know, I enjoyed it. I, I'm, it reminds me a lot of Willow. Yeah. I think that's why I like it. It's, you know, it's Well, it has um, Warwick, Davis. Warwick Davis as one of the main characters to start with. You know, but it's, it's all like very, seems very homemade. It's all puppets and stop motion and matte paintings and like stuff drawn directly onto the cells. And I really think that's fun. I, I just like that old kind of 80s fantasy vibe that this movie has. Yeah, it's really, um, really charming, I think. Unless you're like a cynical edgelord who's like... I mean, know. it's for kids. It's very, very like cutesy. And not a ton happens until like the last 40 minutes, maybe. Yeah, the first half hour is pretty slow. Just kind of like hanging out with the Ewoks and Burl Ives narrates over it. Yeah, so that was actually the first note I wrote down was, is the narrator Sam the Snowman from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? The answer is yes, it is. And I would watch an entire like Planet Earth documentary with him just talking over... Honestly, Burl Ives should do ASMR videos. He should. From Beyond the Grave, because I'm guessing he's dead now. We could probably just use old clips of him and and listen to them. Yeah. He should be on, like, there's this one channel called Accidental ASMR. Yeah. Burl Ives is, like, Accidental ASMR, like, prime. I want that nature doc. I want to call it Planet Endor and just watch him talk. Yeah. It would be amazing. But anyway... So we open up on the parents looking for their two lost children who have left the ship, again, for an unspecified reason. We are never told why they left the ship. Nope. And it becomes apparent that there's a law in the galaxy that everybody has to wear light tan. Lots of light tan. Lots, lots of, lots so of much tones. light tan in this movie. A giant minotaur shows up and chases the Gorax. parents off. Gorax. If you wish. Uh, and then we cut to Wicket. And his family. And his family. His dad, Deej. His large adult sons, Weechi and Whittle, and Wicket being the youngest son. It was tiny. He was a little guy. Little, little guy. Even though Warwick Davis was, what, like... 13. 13. Okay. So, you know, but so he was a teenager, but he is about the same size as the four-year-old girl. Yeah. So he is the youngest Ewok Wicket. Right. And it turns part. out that his idiot brothers, Weechi and Whittle, have gotten lost. And so Deej has to go fly his hang glider to find his idiot sons... First, I want to say that there's a part where Deej is blowing a hunting horn, but because the costume's lips can't close, he has to clench it between his teeth, and it looks extremely painful That's to normal. blow a horn that way. Imagine just clenching a horn between your teeth and going, Urgh. It's like a woodwind. You have to have the reed. You, you use your lips on a woodwind, though. Okay. You don't just clench it yeah. between your teeth. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so he uses a hand glider. And they actually, I read this, this actually was a real actor on a real hang glider in a real Ewok suit. Wow. They ha- they did it, made it happen, yeah. They made it happen, so that's why it's so realistic. Uh-huh. It's stunningly realistic. Stunningly. Pulse-poundingly realistic. Wicket wants to ride on the hang glider, but he's too little, so Deej won't let him. Yeah. But then Wicket looks over and he notices that the rope that is anchoring the hang glider to the ground is being chewed through by a goat. Lots of normal animals in this movie. Yes, so Wicket (laughs) tries to stop the goat and for some reason his way of stopping the goat is like belly flopping straight onto the rope and snapping it the Uh, rest of the way. Whoops. And there goes the hang glider. Bye, Dad. Bye, Dad. Later... When Deej finds his large adult sons, who are idiots and will remain idiots throughout the duration of this movie, he lowers a rope down to rescue them so they can climb it down from the mountain peak where they're trapped, and the rope snaps as they're climbing down. So if there's one thing we learn in the first 15 minutes, it's that Ewoks suck at making ropes. These ropes snap a lot. They suck 
ass at ropes. It is like a recurring theme. While DJ is flying around, he does see a little twinkle in the forest. And he's like, ooh, I gotta go check that out with my idiot sons later. And so they go check it out. And it's the crashed spaceship of the Tawani family. It is. And they hear a little bit of a snuffling yeah. inside the walls. And they open up this compartment. And inside is a tiny aerobics instructor. <laughs> She's the cutest little aerobics instructor you ever did see. She is adorable. This is Sindel. Sindel. This is one of the two children whose parents have gone missing. Right. Then her big brother, Mace, comes in, guns a blazing, and we got a bit of a hostage situation on our hands. Literally holds everybody at gunpoint. Yes. He calls them mopheads, mopface. We'll play a recording later, but yes. because they're, they're Ewoks, they just, like, tumble into his legs. They tackle him. They tackle him. This is, like, the only move that Ewoks have is, like, doing a running belly flop at people. And then they got him. They got him. They tie him to some sticks. Um, Sindel's able to Sindel, walk. Sindel doesn't care. They let Sindel walk. And uh, they take them back to the home of Deej, Wicket, and their family. Which is on the ground for some reason. Which is on the ground, even though, as we established later, there are so many things in Endor that can kill you. Yeah, you definitely want to be above the forest floor. But they live on the ground. We don't know why. Hey, do you think Mace is named for Mace Windu? I was actually wondering the same thing, or if Mace is just a common name in the Empire. They're trying to be progressive. Like, because they're a white family, we should say that. They're trying right. to be progressive. Like, let's... Let's uh... let's name him after, like, you know, the first the first black member of the... We don't actually know that he is, though. No, we don't. We don't. But maybe it's like if a white family, like a white liberal family was being super extra and they named their kid, like, Jackie Robinson or something. It's my child, Barack Obama. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Right. Like that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Sindel goes into the home with Wicket and his family, and her brother just gets left outside tied to some sticks. <laughs> it's and pretty cool. Nobody cares. <laughs> I was actually wondering why the Ewoks didn't try to eat them, because you made it sound like if they found humans out alone in the forest, they would immediately try to eat them. Well, because Sindel got along with Wicket right away. Right. They had the kind of a connection right away, and also she's sick. They come find out right away that she's like, I don't feel good, Mace. And. <laughs> And they don't like, shy away from making her look like hell. Oh, she looks She terrible. looks gross. Yeah. And the Ewoks are talking to her, and they're asking her, Koosh, Koosh, which we found out. I mean, I, I had my Ewok dictionary open during this movie. You did. You were being super extra like and that. And that means what? And Ewok, says, what? What's the matter? What? 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 And, and Mace is like, she needs medicine, food, medicine. Eh. And so they give him, some, give him like this, give her like this, this pea pod or leaf. Leaf. It's a leaf. It's a leaf full of like some kind of medicine. My theory is that this is Ephelus, or King's Foil. We are the preeminent experts in that Ewoks equal hobbits. So. And Endor equals Arda. Yeah. And I think that this is the leaf that Sam gathers to treat Frodo's wound after he's stabbed on Weathertop, and that in the Peter Jackson version of The Hobbit, Tariel uses to treat Keeley. It all comes together. It all comes together. I'm pretty sure this is King's Foil, or it's just some good, good kush, as they keep saying. Kush, kush. Kush. They go out and they have to gather some more. Yep. And this time the Ewoks light it on fire, which I think is just to, like, make Mace think that... It's a lot cooler. It's a lot cooler Opa. than it actually is. Opa! So they light it on fire. Well, you forgot to mention that uh, Mace got attacked by a tree monster. Oh, I forgot about that. Teen vs. Tree? Yeah, Teen vs. Tree! I think you were, like, on your phone during this part, but he stuck his hand in a tree and a monster tried to bite his arm off and the Ewoks helped him. Yeah, they saved him, and he is still an ungrateful little jerk about it. Completely. Also, I have to say that Mace looks like every greasy boy sitting in the back of my 8th grade algebra class. Probably <laughs> smells like Axe body spray. He has, like, acne and stuff. Like, he's a very realistic-looking teen Yeah, boy, I think that's pretty good. Which is good. But at the same time, it brings back memories of, like, kids making your mom jokes while we're trying to learn how to do 
polynomial equations. Dark times. Dark times. Dark times. Anyway, yeah. They light the leaf on fire. They give it to Sindel. She says, I feel a little better already while looking like absolute shit. <laughs> There's a ferret. There is a ferret, and they're playing with it. Because the next scene, she's all, she's way better. Her and her and uh, Wicked are playing, and she's trying to teach him words. This is actually like one of the cutest scenes in the whole thing for yeah. me. This is super cute. Sindel is trying to explain to Wicket that their star cruiser crashed, and she's trying to use gestures. Mm-hmm. So she has her hand like hovering, like it's the star cruiser flying, and then she goes crashed, and she kind of. Puts her hand, slams her her hand down into the table like it has just crashed into the table. And then Wicked goes, Star Cruiser, crash, crash. And then she asks if Wicked's people have Star Here, Cruisers. Let's listen to this clip. This is cute. Which I pulled. Star Cruiser, crash. Yeah, that's it. Don't you have a Star Cruiser? Star Cruiser. Hmm. That's not a star cruiser. That's a horse. So he pulls out a horse. It's a little toy horse, and then he crashes it into the table and goes, Star Cruiser, crash. It is really, really unreasonably cute. Yeah. I think. It was nice. Yes. Yeah, they speak English a couple times in this movie. And there's a part you really liked where Mace is like, Dad, I know what to do. And it's like, Dead? 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 It's so cute the way he says it. And you told me that one of the reasons why Warwick caught the um, movie creator's eyes on the original Star Wars movies was that he was, like, sticking his tongue out through the the hole in the mask. Yeah, no other actors would do that. Yeah, and it made it look, like, more charming and realistic when when the Ewok was talking. Yeah. And he does that when he says, Dad, did? Dad? Let's hear hear him say Dad real quick. Okay. I wish Dad was here. He'd know what to do. Dad? Isn't that cute? Yeah. That's super, super cute. Anyway. Anyway. Like I said... The Ewoks have cured Sindel. They have saved Mace from getting tree rabies from the tree monster. Yeah. But Mace is still an ungrateful little jackass about it because while the Ewoks are sleeping that night, he takes Sindel and they sneak out and to try and go looking for their parents. And they do a great job of it. They find their parents. The movie ends. It's great. Actually, they don't. Oh. Uh, they have a little campfire, which I thought Mace was going to make like the Boy Scout way by rubbing two twigs together, but he just like takes out a little laser and lights it like that. So Well, he's a, he's a space kid. He sucks. Yeah. Um, so he starts a fire. Sindel expresses her belief that their parents are already dead. <laughs> she's... She's a pragmatist. She kind of like just, she wants to stay with these little guys. She has already completely given up. Maybe if we stayed with the Star Cruiser, mom and dad would still be alive. It's like, Sindel, it's been two days. You're four, dude. Slow your roll. It's going to be fine. But she is definitely sure they're dead. As they're having this charming conversation, suddenly a stop motion boar wolf shows up. They don't call it a boar wolf in the movie, but it's a boar wolf. It's a boar wolf. The boar wolf chases them. It's quite scary. It looks like a giant werewolf. Yeah. Chases them, and they hide in the hollow of a tree. Yep. And they're there all night. And then the next morning, fortunately, Wicket and Deej, and Deej's large adult sons... Weechie and Whittle. ...show up, and they get the boar wolf with the dart. They get him with the dart. They get him with the dart. Yeah, make him fall asleep. And they find that there's this wristband hanging off it for some reason, like this metal wristband, just like the one the kids are wearing. He goes, oh, it's dad's life bracelet, his life monitor. <laughs> All senior citizens should have life alert. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, so do small children in Star Wars. Yeah, everybody has life alert. So he has his, they find his life alert and he's still alive. And they're like, we got to go save dad. And so they have to go get help. Now, this part 
makes really no sense. So Sam the Snowman has to tell us that really, yeah. Mace must find the master of the beasts, the beast being the boar wolf, if they are ever to find their parents. I don't know how you figure, Burl Ives. That is a complete stretch. He's omniscient. He knows all. Well, thank God he explained it. I don't know how the kids figured it out or how the Ewoks conveyed it to the kids, but everybody suddenly just knows. Okay, if we go... See the Minotaur who created this poor wolf. Gorax. He's going to have our parents. Not created it. He's the master of it. Oh, he's just the master. He's, just, he's not a wizard. He's a big giant. Well, I don't know. He doesn't create these things. These are wild animals. Of so he's not a god is what no, you're saying. No, he's just a big oh, guy. Okay. okay, he's just a big guy. And so that's their mission now. Well, they have to go get help. They realize this is way, way over our heads. We got to get help from a magic man. Try to understand. And they go talk to Logray. We talked about Logray in an earlier episode, so go back and listen to that if you want to know about Logray. Yes. Logray's pet owl is able to roll its hoot. It gurgles. Like it's speaking in Spanish. Uh, like it rolls it for a good three seconds. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. But anyway, so Logray... He's the, he's the shaman of the Bright Tree Village. And he brings out a giant dreidel. A big dreidel. And he spins this giant dreidel, and the dreidel turns into a video screen. Yeah, and it shows the, the kid's parents in the cage of the Gorax. Yes. And this causes Sindel to cry, except the actress is four and can't cry on command. So what they do is they, they put artificial tears rolling down her face, but otherwise her face is completely neutral. Yeah. And she's saying, we gotta find our parents. <laughs> it's very convincing. And like, not an upset voice at all. So they agree. We'll go save your parents. Actually, an Ewok speaks in English in this part. He does. An Ewok says, we help you. Yeah. It was very cute. It is very, very cute. So the next day they set out. They have their caravan of courage. The Ewoks are loading up horses and, you know, packing stuff up. And they got to go see Logray for some, some magic equipment that will help them on their quest. Yes, as Burl Ives tells us, they gather for a traditional Ewok ceremony, which if what Ryan has told me means anything at all, means they are about to trip balls. But they don't. They don't, actually. Deej and Weechi and Whittle get these headdresses made of feathers. They're like the feathers of courage and the feathers of bravery and all that. Sindel gets a candle of pure light, which is pretty cool. It's a candle that never burns down. It's amazing, yeah. Wicket gets a magic walking stick. Pretty handy. And Mace gets the best thing of all. A rock. A rock. <laughs> Just a rock. Because he sucks. Because he sucks. He goes, a rock? He goes, these little bears are nuts. He doesn't want it. He throws it away. I don't want to rock. And so he just throws it away at the base of a tree. Fortunately, Wicket is actually smart. He's not a dumb teen and he picks it up. Yeah. And they set off on their caravan of courage toward the Gorax's cave. Um, there's a part where Sindel and Wicket are in this little kind of buggy on top of a horse. They're in a horse. Yeah, the horse basket. It's like a basket. It looks really uncomfortable for the horse to wear. Actually. The horse is actually kind of stumbling <laughs> and like strafing a bit because this basket is so cumbersome. And Deej kind of indicates to Mace, you should get in this too. And he's like, that's for kids. He doesn't want to ride in the horse basket. I'd rather walk. So he does, and for some reason they let him lead? Yeah. Even though he is the person who has the least idea where he's going? It's ridiculous. Well, thankfully, the first thing that always happens to him is he almost gets smushed by a giant tree falling on him, which is great. <laughs> it has been cut down by a woodsman. Yeah, Chukata. Chukata is not entirely certain if he cut it down as part of his chosen profession or if he's just, like, messing with them. He's a manly lumberjack walk, and he kind of laughs. <laughs> Mace is so upset. 
that this woodsman almost smushed them with the tree that somehow he gets into a hatchet throwing contest. It's very much like lumberjack games all of a sudden. It's very weird. Mace throws a hatchet at a tree to express his teen angst. It actually works pretty well. It sticks in there real good. He's actually really good at hatchet throwing for some reason. And Chuckatop pulls out his own hatchet. He throws it. And it lodges right in the handle of Mace's axe. So it's clear who won that dick-waving contest. And Mace was really angry up to this point. He's like, you have to help us. Right, <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. uh gives him a, a tooth that Logray gave him. And it goes right into the skull on his necklace. Chukata's. Chukata's necklace. Chukata's necklace. Yeah. And now Chukata is part of their group. Part of the fellowship. And the next friend they encounter is uh, an Ewok priestess. Named, yes. Named Kink. Yes, and so they decide that they also want her to be part of their group. So they offer her a crystal that they got from Logray. Yeah. The priestess takes the crystal and puts it into Mace's hands, and the crystal turns into a lizard, and Mace freaks out and throws the lizard on the ground. She's like, ugh. Sindel's like, no, 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 I'll, I'll take that lizard. She picks it up. It turns into a pure white mouse. Indicating that Sindel is awesome and Mace sucks. And so Kink is very impressed by this, and she, she, she decides to join the quest as well. Then we get the most inexplicable and frightening moment in the entire movie. It's kind of nightmarish, yeah. Uh, so they're kind of in this field, they're kind of taking a break, and Mace is down by the river, just looking in it, not being a dumbass, just looking in the river. Mm-hmm. And he pokes it with his finger, and then all of a sudden he's trapped underneath it. Not only is he trapped below the river, there's like, it's like glass on top of him. Like, so he, like, can't get out yeah, from under the water. He can't surface because like, it's covered in glass. Like, I've had nightmares like this. Like, you're trapped under a frozen lake or something. Yes. Like, and if you're like me and you have, like, kind of issues with drowning scenes, this yeah. is a very, very frightening scene. Yeah, not so cute this part. No. The Ewoks initially aren't helping him because they're playing croquet with Sindel yeah. for some reason. <laughs> they're very distractible. So he's drowning and they're just, like, playing croquet. And oh, Finally, they notice, but every time they try to drop, like, a stick or a rope for him to grab onto, it, it can't make it past the surface of the water. As soon as it hits the surface of the water, it vanishes. Right. Yeah, so Sindel has a bright idea. Wicket, use your magic walking stick. Stick it in there. And he does, and it's able to go through it, and he pulls pulls Mace out, and whew, everything's fine. And there is never any explanation of what this pond is. It is so scary. Yeah. But Mace is okay. But again, this, I remember we talked about Endor before. It's all... Full of magic crap. They got, like, Mount Sorrow. They have the Dandelion Warriors. Well, that's what's surprising about watching this movie is that it literally has straight-up magic. Yeah. Like, it really blurs the boundary between sci-fi and fantasy because there's a lot of magic in this. does straight-up magic out of his staff. Yeah. And Logray has, like, a magic video dreidel. Yeah. So. Way beyond Ewok tech, right? Right. You would think. At this point, uh uh-oh, more shenanigans. Yes. Sindel gets back into the horse basket. But then Wicked accidentally whips the horse's butt. Whoops. Oh, no, he whips a tree. He whips a tree and it scares the horse, and the horse runs off. With Sindel inside. Yeah. So Chukata has to ride to her rescue. It's very heroic. He heroically gets the horse, heroically brings it back, and heroically calls Mace a puta. <laughs> Upon returning, which in fairness, that's exactly what I wanted to call Mace. I couldn't find a translation for that. I think he's literally just calling him a puta. I think he might just call him a puta. Just like the Spanish word. Wicket calls Sindel Thisa, which means child. Which is very, very, very cute. Yeah. Very cute. Another cute part is coming up. They're camping for the night, and a bunch of Wisties show up. Yeah, we mentioned Wisties before. Like these little fire fairies that fly around, and Sindel lights her candle of pure light, and the Wisties love it. 
They all go into it, in they, fact. They, sh- they all dancing around and flying around, and and then it, they're all laughing because they're getting tickled by wisties. And so Sindel's like, they must be giggle eaters. Which I don't think is scientifically sound at all. But it's very cute. But it's very, it's very cute, but I don't think that four-year-old has, like, any concept of the scientific method. Yeah. By the way, the way that Wicket says wisties, like, warms my heart. Wisties. He's, like, dancing around going, wisties! It's so cute. It's very cute. It's very, very, very cute. If there's one thing we've learned from this, it's that Wicket is very cute. Wicket is a great, great little character. Uh, next scene, they're in the desert of Thalma, marching toward the lair of the Gorax, all these acid pools and dry lakes, and the fortress. It's like the Lonely Mountain, essentially. They finally have made it. Right. And... An arrowhead, a magic arrowhead that was inside the rock that Mace threw away. Thank God Wicket picked it up. Yeah. The arrowhead directs them to a secret back entrance to the fortress. It's kind of fun because since he's a space kid, he pulls up the arrowhead and he goes, What is this? <laughs> he's never seen an arrowhead before. Why do you need arrows Ever. in the space world? We have That's laser true, guns, right? you wouldn't. And they put it on the ground and the arrow moves and directs them to the secret right. back entrance. No moon runes needed here. No. Although, it's not all low tech because to get the rock out of the way of the entrance so they can actually go into the fortress, Mace just explodes it by shooting it with a laser. Yeah, it was interesting. They explode their way in. They go inside. Sindel and Wicket have to stay behind at this point because they're too little. Also, like I think one of the brothers stays behind. One, so one of the large adult sons. One of the large adult sons and Wicket. So they kind of like... Uh... Keeps Sindel busy. They do stunts to keep her entertained. Like headstands and stuff. Yeah, it's very it's real cute. cute. Meanwhile, Mace and the rest of the party proceed into the fortress, and they have to first cross a chasm using a giant spider web. And of course, there's a giant spider in it. Which Mace bitch slaps into the abyss. <laughs> well, first Kank hypnotizes it. Then he then he slaps into the abyss. Yeah, he like literally like backhands it, and it falls and, into a chasm. And Chaka Khan cuts the web, and... It's good. It's very cool. Yes. The, the spider's not a great puppet, but it has these really cool eyes. I yeah. Think. The eyes I like are cool. It. I like it. My my favorite part is that Wicket and Sindel and one of the large adult sons also get attacked by a spider, and Wicket kills it exactly the way Sam injures Shiloh yes. in Lord of the Rings. Stab it underneath the belly. Stabbing it underneath the belly. Again, same thing, guys. Same they, thing. Ewok equals Hobbit. Hobbit. Yes. I don't know how many times we have to say it. Anyway, once they've crossed this chasm, they find the Minotaur. The Gorax. Yes. And the, the Gorax... Is huge. Is enormous, like easily at least 20 feet tall. Absolute unit. Absolute unit, the size of that lad. And it has Mace's parents in a cage. Dangling from the ceiling. Like they're pet parents. He yeah. collects parents as pets. Pet parents. The parents look down and they see their son. And Mace's dad becomes so excited that he goes... Mace! Mace! And then he whispers to the mom, It's Mace! <laughs> Did you know? <laughs> Did you know? Hey! <laughs> Mace down there! <laughs> so, they're very excited. So I, I wrote down, Ewoks should have been smart. They should have, like, lured the Gorax to the, the Empire's base on Endor. And he's just smashed some stuff. That would have been awesome. Can you imagine those that big dude just, like, smashing down on that radar dish or whatever? Well, like, there's a lot of things from the Ewok adventure movies that the Ewoks seem to forget by the time Return of the Jedi rolls around. For example, Wicket forgets how to speak English, but that's another story for another day. Yeah. It's weird. Their plan to get up into the cage involves a rather dicey technique... Climbing up a rope, which we've already established the Ewoks suck at well, making. first, they have to get someone up there. And so they take the Gorax's axe, they put it over a rock, 
and they launch Mason to the air like a like a teeter totter. Yes, a simple machine. They a, catapult a him. They catapult him with a lever, and he thankfully makes it all the way up there. So great! Now Mason's in the cage. Okay, where do we go from here? He drops the rope down. Uh, Chukata climbs up. I'll climb down the rope. It's not actually clear to me why Chukata has to climb up there. I don't think he needs to. He climbs up, and then he climbs, like, right back down yes. with everybody else. It's kind of pointless. If it's just moral support. I don't know. But, of course, during all this, the large adult son who stayed behind knocks over the Gorax's axe as they're escaping. Because these large adult sons are idiots, as we've already climbs. established. And, of course, now the Gorax notices them. And it starts playing this, this theme song that sounds exactly like Night on Bald Mountain. <laughs> Which I'll put in here so you can hear the comparison. This sounds exactly just like it. Let's go! All throughout this movie, the, the soundtrack is pretty much like, we'll sample John Williams, then put kind of John Williams-y music in between. Right. Like, But then this one part's just like, Night Bald Man. Whatever. Yeah. I also would like to point out that the Gorax's face is incredibly sweaty, but only its face. So there are two parts of skin you can see. You can see its face, and you can see its nipples. And its nipples are dry as the Sahara, <laughs> but its face is incredibly sweaty. See, I wasn't looking at the Gorax's nips, but I'm glad someone was. Somebody has to. Yeah. I would argue. So they chase him around. Uh, one of the large adult sons hides in a basket. It's very comical. Yes. Yes. Chukata so, so while keeps it busy. With the Wistie is kind of an MVP here. He distracts the Gorax. The Gorax is whipping around. Blah, blah, and he hits some rocks. It's the ceiling. There's some rocks fall down. And Chukata gets crushed. He gets crushed to death, in fact. And there's a very, very tearful goodbye scene where uh, where, where Mace is very upset that his, his friend Chukata, who he has done nothing but, like, abuse the entire <laughs> movie, is dying. Chukata tries to give Mace his hatchet, and Mace goes, No, it's your hatchet. You're gonna need it. It's very sad. He calls him Jirota, which means friend. Which Mace does not deserve. He does not understand it, nor does he deserve it. And then Chukata dies. It's very sad. And Mace is immediately out of there. Yep. And so Mace runs out to his family. They are now at the chasm where the spider webs once were, but they can't figure out how to cross it. Yeah. Because there's no more spider webs. They chopped it down. And the Gorax is right on their tails. Oh no, what are they going to do? What are we going to do? Well, they managed to make the Gorax fall into the chasm. They do. Uh, it's actually not that hard. It's not that hard. <laughs> so. And they get across. And Mace explains to them that their friend, the woodsman, has passed away by saying, yes, he's dead. He died for all of us. And that's the last anybody ever <laughs> says about Chukataw. Well, on the way out, the Gorax crawls out of the chasm, and Mace actually has to use Chukataw's hatchet to finish him off. That's true. That's so. true. And he falls back into the chasm. Yep. And everybody's fine. Yeah. Mace has a tearful goodbye with the Wistie. Oh, yes, the Wistie that just flies off into the night sky. Yeah. He's honestly seems more upset about the Wistie than he was about Chukatoa. Honestly, yes. <laughs> uh, and then they have a party. They have a party. and Wicked is, like, popping and locking on a table at oh, this party. His moves are great. It's very cute. Mesa and Sindel's dad says to Deej, Wicked's dad, we are two very lucky fathers. And all I can think is, you would not say that if you knew how stupid Deej's large adult sons were. <laughs> He's talking about Wicked. He's talking about Wicked. He's not talking about the large adult sons who are useless. <laughs> two lucky fathers. I'm so glad our children are getting married. Yeah. 
actually would totally be up for like Wicket and Sindel getting together when they're older. That'd be cute. It would be very cute. I feel like they really have something. They do. And the final scene, Sindel is given the white wings of courage by Logray to prove that she is a warrior of, of, of great stature. Which, to be honest, she deserves like a lot more than her brother. Her Absolutely. brother, de- Mace doesn't get wings. No, he doesn't get anything. <laughs> no I just noticed that. For Mace. <laughs> Only for Sindel. Up yours, Mace. That's so good. That's so good. <laughs> All right, so final thoughts on the Ewok adventure. It was cute. It was cute. I mean, it was obviously, like, it was very, very slow the first half. Like, not a lot happened. It was just cute Ewok antics. So I can see why, like, a lot of adult Star Wars fans did not like it when it came out. Mm-hmm. It's just cute nonsense. But I thought it was really charming, so I don't really care. And Wicked is adorable. He's great. Yeah. I got a little bit of uh, behind-the-scenes stuff if you want to hear about yeah, it. Yeah, lay it on me. Not that much, but... Uh, the Ewok Adventure was a made-for-TV movie. And yeah. It came directly out of the Star Wars Holiday Special. It did. Because George Lucas had a really bad time with that one, as we know. The Ewok Adventure is a much, much better movie than the, the Star Wars Holiday Special. He had to wait a while. Because remember, the Star Wars Holiday Special was 78. This yes. came out in 84. So right. he had to wait about six years. And he said, yeah, I'll give Star Wars on TV another try. But this time, I want complete creative control. Okay. So he was on set a bunch during this movie. He didn't direct it, but he did write the story for it. Right. He was very much hands-on with this movie. For the French version, he actually requested there be a song written specifically for this movie by Why an artist named... Why just for the French? Well, there's an artist he liked named Dorothy. Okay. She wrote a French song called Les Petits Ewoks. So the little Ewoks? Yes. And I can Aww. play a little bit here. It's, it's kind of a nice little song. Okay. Pour que deux étrangers, pauvres naufragés, aux dangers. Tous ils se sont levés, ils ont accepté sans même hésiter. And for those of you who don't speak French, that was for a little girl lost in the night to come back to life, for two strangers, poor shipwrecked people to escape danger. All of them got up, they accepted, even without hesitation, to risk everything. They have the courage in their hearts, the little Ewoks. Aww. I love how it, like, it mentions a little girl, but they do not mention Mace. It's literally, yeah. <laughs> like, no one cares about Like, once again, Mace gets written out. I mean, Mace is maybe the main character of the movie. He is ostensibly the main character, but I love how everybody keeps acknowledging, like, Sindel the real MVP. Yeah, so that, it's a cute little song. Everything about this movie is cute. One more cute fact from behind the scenes. The guy, kid who played Mace, yes. his name is Eric Walker. Yeah. And Warwick Davis, they became really good friends on the set of the movie. And so as part of their... Oh, yeah, because they'd be, like, around the same age. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And so as part of their on-set schooling, the production gave them a video camera to walk around with, and they made a documentary between takes and under their uh, studio W&W Productions. <gasps> and Eric Walker actually uploaded some of it to his YouTube channel a few years back. It's pretty funny. It's oh, cute. my God. That's so cute. I want to watch that. <laughs> yeah, we can watch some of that later. So look it up. Let's look up uh, behind the scenes of the Ewok adventure. Eric Walker, Warwick Davis, W&W Productions. Aww. Yeah, I thought it was cute. Right? That's, I'm so glad that they were friends. <laughs> yeah, they were really good buds. Aww, that's And they good. work together again in the next Ewok movie, which we're going to talk about next week. Yeah, so look forward to that. Next week is going to be The Ewok Adventure 2. Yeah. And it is going to be the last four episodes of Hobbitit. Yeah, we're going to, it's a two-parter here, but I hope you're used to the format now because we're sticking with it for one more week. Yep. You can find us online mm-hmm. at www.whatslightsabersprecious.com. Also, if you search What's Lightsabers Precious, you can find us on Facebook, 
Twitter, and your podcast app on your iPhone where you can rate us and leave a comment. If you leave a comment or a rating, let us know and we'll do something cool for you. I was thinking like, if you want a gonk song, if you want, you know, producer Gollum to record a message for you. On your home answering machine. On your home answering machine, like Carl Castle. Carl Castle, yeah. If you want Joanna to write something elvish for you, you know, we'll do something for you. Well, you really committed me to the elvish thing, huh? Hey, man, I, I, that's two things I do, and one thing you do. All right, so fine, I'll do it. I do all the editing on the show? Come on, That's come on. true, that's true. No, Can producer we... Gollum does all the editing on this show, Ryan. Stupid Harrison! <laughs> yes, I know, I know. Sorry, have a sardine, shut up. So just let us know if you do that. Email us, whatsightsabersprecious at gmail.com. So to play us out, uh, I think we got to do Frodo's song. Can we do now. the rest of Frodo's awesome song? Here's Frodo dancing on top of a table at the Prancing Pony and finish. Bye, everyone! It's the finish of our episode! <laughs> Bye. Bye. Dad was here. Didn't know what to do. Dad? Chris, Chris, that's not a star cruiser. That's a horse. You better watch out, you nearly killed us! That's his? Does that mean he's coming with us? You gotta be kidding. Why are we stopping? No jeeks. What's that? Okay. Hey, you're wasting time. Dead. So what, it turned into a lizard, big deal. Come on, hurry up! That was close, you guys were great.